Great. So this, this Sunday, we're in the second Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. And so why don't you uh, stand with me, and we'll read God's word together. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his, limp, because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, which centuries and centuries old still speaks a new thing to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your word today. I pray that you would send your spirit. Open our hearts, Lord, to what you would do here among us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amy Carmichael was born in Ireland in 1867, and she served for 55 years as a missionary to India. Her parents were both devout Christians, and once when she was young, um, her mother told her that God answers prayer. And so Amy prayed that God would give her blue eyes instead of brown eyes. <laughs> She woke up the next morning and rushed to the mirror, and she was disappointed because she still had her brown eyes. But when she told her mother, her mother said that God did answer. The answer was no. <laughs> As a young woman, Amy felt a strong desire to care for people in need and to tell people about the love of God found in Jesus. She and the local pastor would go into poor areas in Belfast, their city, and hand out food and pamphlets, telling people about God's love. At one point, she uh, started a prayer ministry with young women who were called shawlies. They wore shawls over their heads. These young women worked in factories, and they couldn't afford hats, so they wore shawls over their heads. And um, her prayer meeting grew so large that they needed a building. And she raised the funds as a young woman uh, for a building that would house over 500 people. And it was a ministry to these women in Belfast. She eventually moved to England where she heard a talk by the great Hudson Taylor, who was a well-known missionary to China. 
And she got all inspired to go to China and to be a missionary there. Um, but she also had a medical condition, a medical condition um, called neuralgia, which is a painful nerve disease. And despite her desire to go to China, the people in charge of the missions to China were like, we don't think you should go because of this neuralgia. And so despite this discouragement, she kept praying and asking God, where would I go? Where, where, where will you send me, God? When will you send me? And finally, she was invited by some friends to India. And in India, she worked hard to learn the local language and customs. And she also learned that many girls at that time were unwanted by their parents. And they were being dropped off at temples. And at the temples, they were, she heard rumors that they were um, suffering lots of abuse there at the temples. And so she needed proof because she heard the rumors. And so she decided to, to dress up as a local. And so she darkened her skin with coffee beans and wore an Indian sari. And at this point, she realized that it was actually a blessing to have brown eyes and not blue. And she snuck into the temple and confirmed her worst fears about the abuses that were happening there. And so for the rest of her life, Amy provided a home for these temple girls. She was soon an ama, is the word they use for mother, uh, to more than 50 young women. And she served for decades in this way. <coughs> However, her illness grew progressively worse, and eventually she took a bad fall, injuring her back and hip. And so for the rest of her life, she was constrained to her bedroom, but she continued her missionary work through her writing. In all, she wrote 35 books about missions and about her experiences in India. There's a, a famous quote from one of her books. The best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes, as from him whom our soul loves. Amy had an amazing life, but it wasn't without its setbacks. Many times, I'm sure she wondered why God wouldn't take away the neuralgia. I'm sure there were seasons of disappointment as she waited for God to speak to her and to open the doors for the mission work that she wanted to do. And then to be bedridden, basically, at the end of her life. There were seasons of disappointment and frustration, but she was able to trust the one whose power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So this morning we're going to be continuing in this Advent study, Roots, Advent, and the family story of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at the life of one of Jesus' ancestors, Jacob. So whereas Amy Carmichael learned to accept everything as it comes, Jacob was the exact opposite. Jacob name, Jacob's name means deceiver or supplanter. And from the beginning, Jacob pushed against the circumstances in his life. And so in our passage this morning, we see that Jacob's pushing against the circumstances of his life was really about him pushing back against God. He was really wrestling God from an early age. The strange thing about this story is that God seems perfectly content to get, it, to get in there and mix it up with Jacob in a wrestling match. What strange behavior 
from the creator of the universe. Why would God wrestle with Jacob? I believe that God was wrestling with Jacob in order to transform him. I believe that God was wrestling with Jacob in order to transform him. God will use the pressures and the circumstances of our lives to change us. After that wrestling match, God's name, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, and then we see a whole nation that wrestles with God. For centuries, Israel moved back and forth from faithfulness to faithlessness. Back and forth. A wrestling people. A people wrestling with God. In Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus who was willing to come in the midst of that. A Messiah who was willing to get right in the middle of that struggle as one who brings grace but also transformation. And even today, in our own struggles between faithfulness and faithlessness, we can look to a God who will make his home in our lives. So our question this morning is this. How does the story of Jacob, the namesake of the people of Israel, help us embrace both wrestling and transformation as followers of Jesus? And so first, Jesus comes from a people who wrestle. Jesus comes from a people who wrestle with God. Um, the story of Jacob wrestling with God happens at a critical point in his life. Everything in his life has been building up to this point. Right there, I want to show a picture of it, right there at the Jabbok River. And that's actually the river, um, a real place in Jordan. Everything had been leading up into this point. He's at a make, or break, a make or break point that will determine his whole future, and Jacob is stressed. Anybody ever been stressed? Like night before the final exam stressed. Or getting medical test results back stressed. Or just before the battle stressed. Why? Because he's getting ready to meet his brother again. 20 years after they had had a big fight. And so, you remember the story. Jacob tricked his brother Esau into trading his birthright for a bowl of soup. Then Jacob dresses up like Esau in order to fool his elderly and blind father into giving him the blessing that was supposed to go to, Je that was supposed to, go to Esau. And listen to the blessing. Listen to what happened. Isaac blessed Jacob with this blessing. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. That was the blessing that Jacob stole. And then when Esau goes to Isaac and he says, Dad, don't you have a blessing left for me? He says, yes, but your older brother, your younger brother has already gotten the good one. This is the blessing that Esau got. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So the trickery of Jacob was bad enough. 
The foolishness of Esau for trading away his birthright, it just makes everything worse, right? But this is deep. Esau will serve his younger brother, the trickster. Esau was so mad that he makes plans to kill Jacob. All Jacob can do is flee. And so he decides to go to Haran. And Haran is, is pretty far away. This is present-day Turkey. So this is actually where Abram was before he became Abraham, before he moved back to, ventured into Canaan. He's not just going a little ways away. He's going far away to get away from his brother Esau, who just wants to kill him. And so he's hoping to make a fresh start, find a wife, or several, that's a whole different thing, <laughs> and settle down. But the problem is this, his inheritance isn't inherent, it's back in Canaan, where his brother, es where his brother Esau is. And right from the beginning, God reminds him that he's got to come back. So Jacob has a dream, and this is the dream where it's the ladder and the angels are coming up and down. You remember that. And God speaks to Jacob and tells him, he says, I don't have a slide for that, sorry. <laughs> tells them, I am with you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he has this vision of the ladders, right? And it's a remarkable moment, but the, the point of that vision is, Jacob, you can run away from your inheritance, but I promise you, I will bring you back to it. Okay? Sounds good if you want the inheritance. Not so good if you don't want to face a brother who's trying to kill you. Do you understand? So for the next 20 years, Jacob lives in the wrong place. Working for his uncle Laban. And to make a long story short, things don't go well with his uncle Laban. Laban is both family and Jacob's employer. And I think that right there just summarizes it. He's uncle and father-in-law twice over. That might be part of it, too. <laughs> but it's enough to say that Jacob has to leave Laban's house. And it's clear that the only place that he can go back to is Canaan. He has flocks and herds, but he has no land and no extended family. And land and family meant security. So, yeah, he can leave Laban... But where? Where is he going to go? The only place for him to go, and he knows that God wants him to go back to it, is back to Canaan, back to Esau, back to his inheritance. And so he starts to head back, and as he gets closer to Canaan, he sends out messengers to Esau to tell him that he's coming home. But here's the problem. The messengers come back with this message. Esau is coming to meet Jacob, and he's bringing 400 men with him. This can only mean one thing in Jacob's mind. After 20 years, Esau is still holding a grudge, and he's coming to kill him. Have you ever been in a predicament? I mean a real one. Like this. Perhaps it's a family quarrel that's been going on for years. Just like Jacob's. 
or maybe it's financial, the mortgage is going to be deducted from your checking account on the 5th, and you know there's no money in there for it. Or maybe there's a real problem at work. You're not sure if you're going to have a job. It can feel like you're being pulled in a thousand directions. And I'm sure that's how Jacob was feeling. Plus a lot of fear too, I'm sure. And in the middle of that, God is so funny sometimes. In the middle of this predicament, a man comes. Later on, the prophet Hosea tells us specifically it's an angel. Okay, so we can, we can trust Hosea on this. But a man comes, an angel, who starts a wrestling match with him. Sometimes it can feel like that, right? Like you're in a predicament and you're getting pulled in a thousand directions and then in the center of it, you're wrestling with God too. It can feel that way. It soon becomes clear that Jacob is wrestling with God, and God must be taking it easy on Jacob, right? Because they wrestle all night without a clear winner. We have to believe that God Almighty can, can, can be Jacob, right? But anyway, so it kind of seems like God's letting Jacob win. So, but what on earth is going on? When we're going through the most difficult times in our lives, it can seem like we're wrestling with God. It can feel like we're fighting a thousand battles and a battle with God too. But then you realize you're wrestling with God. Because it's really silly to wrestle with God anyway, right? I mean, the whole concept's kind of silly. But if we're wrestling with God, that means he's with us. That's right. That's right. And in the middle of that, you can go, oh, I'm wrestling the one who loves me. I'm wrestling with the one who has a plan for me. I'm wrestling with the one that can trounce me in this <laughs> if he wants. I think Jacob gets to that point and he realized what he really wants from God is for God to bless him. He says, don't, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And Genesis says, he blessed him there. God blessed him there. And this is our, so this is our first point. Jesus comes from a people who wrestle with God. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. And long after Jacob dies, the nation of Israel will still be wrestling with God. And God sends his son right into the middle of it into the middle of the faithfulness and the faithlessness of his own people. Jesus comes from and to a people who wrestle with God. And God seems to welcome it. He seems ready just to jump right in there with us. And so our second point, God wrestles with us to transform us. And the message series that we did on the Beatitudes was, um, was powerful for me. I know that's a weird thing to say. Um, when you preach it, you have to carry it in this, this weird way 
But it has been very powerful to me. I've been really focused on the first beatitude, which if you recall, is blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's such a wonderful starting point. It's the beginning of our true walk with God. Being poor in spirit is when we know we don't have it all figured out on our own. Our own efforts aren't going to be sufficient. We need God's help. We need God's help. I think Jacob gets to the end of this wrestling match and he sees that what he really wants is the blessing. All of his tricks are gone. All of his craftiness is done. He's done wrestling. What he wants most is a touch from God. He wants God to move in his life. 500 men are coming. And so he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's this poverty of spirit is to say, I need you, God. I need you. Such an important place to be for every person on this planet. Such an important pl place to be. And then this is the most amazing part of this whole story. I, I wish I could communicate to you my excitement. I just had never seen this before this week. But it's what God has done in Esau's life in 20 years. God blesses Jacob. Jacob asked him to, and God blessed Jacob. And part of the blessing is the change that God did in Esau. Before the wrestling match with the angel, Jacob had this whole scheme, remember, where he's going to send all the hundreds of sheep and goats, right? And he's like, look, take all my stuff. And the plan is, okay, I'll take all your stuff. Maybe I won't kill you, right? Basically, he's saying, here, take all these possessions, but please don't hurt my family. Don't hurt me. But when Esau meets him, something remarkable happens. And I quote, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. What does that sound like? I'm hearing it. Prodigal son, doesn't it? I mean, for Esau to run after Jacob, Esau's looking in the distance for his brother. I don't think for a second that Esau was planning to kill him and was like, oh, okay, I got 50 sheep. This is cool, 100 sheep. Now I won't kill you. And then this scene happens. Right? That's not what's going on. It wasn't about the sheep. It wasn't about the goats. In fact, Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? I have plenty already. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. <coughs> so just pause for a moment. This should be an encouragement to any of us that have been wrestling with some predicament in our lives. For 20 years, Jacob has been stressing about the situation with his brother. And for 20 years, God has been faithfully working in Esau's life, changing his heart, filling him with love and forgiveness for Jacob, where before there had only been hate, hate leading to murder. This is a miracle, miracle. God works for us in ways that we cannot possibly understand. 
who knows the backstory of what was going on in Esau's life to get him to this point. Perhaps you have a predicament in your life. Let this be an encouragement to you that God is able to change hearts and minds. He can change situations, even the most desperate of ones. So don't give up praying. Don't give up believing. Keep wrestling with God. God invites this kind of prayer, this kind of persistent asking and seeking and knocking. So our second point was this. God wrestles with us to transform us. God wrestles with us to transform us. Where there was once a concern for birthrights and blessings and possessions, there is now a concern for family. And as Amy Carmichael said, the best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes, as from him whom our soul loves. God wrestles with us to transform us. And so our final point is this. Jesus leads us to be a people of transformation. And so now let us fast forward a couple thousand years to the time of a young woman named Mary, a poor teenager in the same land of Canaan, this time under Roman occupation. Mary has her own encounter with an angel. And this time, the angel isn't there to wrestle, but to bring Mary fantastic, incomprehensibly good news. She would become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she would give birth to a son named Jesus. He will be great, and, they will be, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And to her credit, Mary doesn't wrestle with this news as much as I would have. <laughs> I mean, she did ask, like, how is this going to happen? But then her next statement is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And God's word to her was certainly fulfilled. In due time, she gives birth to a son, Jesus the Messiah, the hope of the world. And Jesus comes to a people caught between faithfulness and faithlessness. He comes to bring transformation. And everywhere he went, people wrestled with this interesting Messiah. A humble king a miracle worker, a man who dies to bring life. And so God calls us, us to be a people of transformation. First, he calls us to be transformed by the Messiah, to wrestle with who Jesus Christ is and what, he means to, what it means to follow him as Lord. There's a wrestling that everybody on this planet needs to do. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of my life? And then he calls us to go 
and to transform the world so that his kingdom will come and that his will would be done. And so a few questions as the, as the band comes forward to lead us in our, our closing worship. Have you wrestled with this Messiah yet? Have you, like Jacob, come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of your plans and your schemes for how your life is going to go? And have you said, actually, this Jesus, he's, he's the one I want leading things. <clears throat> have you wrestled with the Messiah yet? I invite you to give it up. What do they call it? Tapping out in wrestling? Yeah. You got me, God. I'm tapping out. I want you to be in charge. Today is a great day if you've never tapped out and said, God, I want you to be in charge. Today is a great day to do that. And so if you've never said, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be in charge. I give you my life. If you've never said that to him, might I invite you to do that? And then my next question is, where are the areas of greatest struggle and stress in your life? Where are those battles that you've been waging, that you've been wrestling with? The message this morning is that, that you're wrestling with God. He's with you in that struggle. He's with you in that battle. What is God trying to do in you through that process? And so the altar is open. You can come forward. You can be the prayer workers up here. You can ask for prayer. You can make your seat an altar. And as we were worshiping this morning, Jesus for my family. Jesus for my family. This was really about family at the end of the day, wasn't it? It was about two brothers, about a nasty, nasty battle in their family. And God, God did it. God changed hearts. I couldn't do it. But God could do it. And so if you have a, a family concern, you have a family situation that's just, it's like Jacob and Esau. <laughs> it's that big. Um, he's still in the business of bringing healing and restoration, and I encourage you to take that to him. Take that to him. Dear Heavenly Father,